Welcome back to the Girl at the Game podcast, the sports podcast by women for everyone in partnership with Sale and Us Media. As always, we are your hosts, Gabrielle, founder of Girl at the Game, and Al Francisco of Nesson. Hey, guys. And we are joined today by one of my favorite people in the entire sports industry. I'm very honored to call her a friend. She's a huge inspiration to me, and she is just such a talented little beast. Melanie Newman, broadcaster for the Baltimore Orioles on Masson, formerly of the Red Sox minor league system. She is literally making history in major league and minor league baseball. She's just the best. Mel, I'm so happy that you're here. (laughs) I just want you to do all of my intros from now on, like talented little beast. And these are all (laughs) the things she does. Like this is great start. You know what? You are actually not the first person to tell me that I do a good intro for them. Um, And you know what? I think it's because I genuinely am just always so excited when we ever have a guest on this pod. Not that Al and I don't have so much fun shooting the shit, just the two of us. Likely, we one night wrote an entire Celine Dion song for Mookie Betts in my dining room. Um, My heart will go on remix. Yeah. I, I like it. And saying it at the top of our lungs. So if anybody walked by my house, they probably heard us like singing the theme song to Titanic, but about Mookie Betts. But that's another story for a very embarrassing day. I'm really happy that we have three girls talking about this today because this is, it's Wednesday, March 3rd, but this episode's going to air next week. But the biggest hot button topic in sports right now is, or in Major League Baseball right now, is obviously what came out yesterday about Mickey Calloway, the new details that have emerged. Each of us has our own stories to share, but... What did it feel like yesterday to hear even more of these really disturbing details, just like as someone who's been in this industry for such a long time? I mean, we want to say it's ridiculous and, and, you know, how dare something like this happen? And at the same time, the sad reality of it is, is it's really hard to find a woman in this industry who's gotten to where she has, especially having a baseball background, not just somebody who joined over from corporate America, but a lot of us have stories and some of them aren't as egregious as what Mickey Calloway did but they're they're definitely in the dozens and dozens and dozens of just women who have um, either passing comments that never needed to be said you know men feeling entitled when they have their phone number and using it for more than just professional use choosing to even act out physically it's just it's kind of astounding that it's 2021 and we're still talking about adults trying to behave in a professional setting. The thing that we've talked about, though, a lot amongst ourselves is just how do we be proactive at this point? Because sitting here and dwelling on it, yes, we have to talk about it and it has to be out there in the open and exposed, but you have to start moving forward and you have to start figuring out how to start changing things like this from happening. And it's the simple truth that it's stronger vetting processes and it's diverse vetting processes. So instead of just a council of peers who all say, you know, this person's great. And that goes for both men and women. You have to have men and women on boards. You have to have different backgrounds, different races who are all giving their input to this because the fact that he was so widely known for having this reputation and, and I've heard it from both men and women yesterday. They're like, Dick pick Mick. Like that's the most if ridiculous. That's your nickname. Yeah. And also it's like, who gave you that nickname? And how is it that you're giving this guy a nickname instead of actually doing something about it? Like you, do you realize you're normalizing sexual harassment by being like, oh, we know this guy just sends unsolicited dick pics. And instead of telling someone, we're just going to start calling him that and like making it like 
a funny thing like, oh, this is our manager. This is our coach. I'm curious too, if, especially knowing how many people had spoken out initially and then their claims just were never taken anywhere. I'm curious the origin of that because I could see it as like the boy's joke, but I could also see it with that little vapid kind of back taste of like, that's what he does. And we've, we've talked about it. We've gone to HR and he keeps getting away with it. So this is, you know, like, it's not like for some people, it probably wasn't a ha ha thing. It was spoken with a little animosity towards it. Um, We're never going to know like everything, but. But that's such a thing us women do too. Like in the industry, just kind of like sticking together and warning each other about guys in the industry that we come into contact that act like this. So yeah, you're right. Like I can so see like other women just being like to each other, like, yeah, this is his name. This is his nickname. This is what we call him. The minute you tell him, you tell another female that nickname, like you don't even need an explanation. Got it. Stay away. Cool. (laughs) Honestly, he's not the first person in this industry that I've heard having a nickname of this kind. You know how a lot of players, what they'll do when they're on the road is they'll see which they'll click on like the ballpark tag on an, on Instagram to see like who's posting photos, like at say, you know, Camden yards or Fenway park. And they'll look and see if there are any cute girls who have recently posted or not even recently posted a photo at that ballpark. And then they'll sign into their DM. So this guy has a reputation where he will, if he finds a girl that he likes on Instagram, he will immediately add her on Snapchat. And then just start sending her like unsolicited, like shirtless selfies, dick pics, like all this stuff. It's not a secret within the female Mm -hmm. fan base of that team. Literally my friend like experienced it from this guy. And so then she decided to like do an experiment because she'd heard from other girls that he did it. So she had her friend, like one of his photos, he immediately added her on Snapchat, sent her a shirtless selfie but I'm like, I'm very grateful. Cause like it used to happen to me now that my Instagram is like 90% pictures of my boyfriend. And I will say like, I had never planned to be one of those people who was like super public about their relationship, but yeah. it is a good deterrent. It is from getting stuff like this, because when people see that you work in sports and you and I've talked about this before, something that's so funny to me is like your prominent face in sports Like I cover sports. I write about sports. We podcast about sports. And I'm always kind of curious, like, why are we the ones you're going after when we could totally blow up your spot? But then I realized because if we were to blow up their spots, people would make us look bad. They would find a way to blame us somehow, even if it's just a dude unsolicited that we don't even follow sliding into Mm -hmm. our DMs. You know, I had a conversation about this on Lockdown Red Sox yesterday where I said that when something like this happens to a woman, like we feel dirty. We feel like we did something wrong, even if it's a person we don't even know. And if we do decide to speak out about it, the world makes us feel dirty. No, and it's it's a complete psychological like dive into what's going on in America. This is like an hours and hours conversation. But I mean, one, I still don't understand why I I really haven't used it much anymore. I send pictures of like our kittens now because I'm 90. But having stuff like Snapchat, um, where, where things disappear. And Men over a certain age on Snapchat, sketchy. Oh, whenever not, they have don't a get, Snapchat Don't get me bio, started. Don't get me started on that. If but. a guy has Snapchat in their bio over a certain age, I'm immediately judging them. Well, and I've noticed too, people be like, well, I'll just, oh, I'll text you. And they're like, no, 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 no just Snapchat me. And I'm like, well... That just means that you want to say something that's going to disappear. Or if I save it or screenshot it, you're going to get a notification that I've done that. 
Um, and so it's, it's like this protection for them. And that's why I was kind of surprised and a little disappointed when Instagram even released that new feature for their messaging platform where you can vanish messages now. So you can now send things through Instagram that will also, you know, go away. And I never explored it. So I don't know how long that time parameter is, but shady conversations like that and social media, giving them the ability to do that. And then at the same time, like we pride ourselves so much on how far women have come in America, you know, how many rights we have, we can do anything at this point. And that's great. And we really do like, I'm not at all downplaying what abilities and freedoms we have in this country. But at the same time, while we're sitting here doing all this, at least in our industry, we're almost still in a different country where women don't have rights. Because it's like you said, anytime a woman speaks up about anything that's happened to her sexually that she didn't necessarily invite, she's the one who gets put down. I think Erin Andrews Mm -hmm. is such a great example of that when she had her peeping Tom incident in the hotel. How many people were like, oh, why are you even mad? Your career blew up after that. And it's like- like Because it was traumatic. (laughs) And if you were to like- I don't know, come forward and talk to someone about a man that's acting inappropriately, like, and it goes public. How many Twitter people are going to be like, oh, well, it probably happened to you before and you were probably okay with it until the guy wasn't old and ugly, right? Like, or you were probably okay with it when you were making the climb in your career. And it's like, were you okay with it? Or was it just something you kind of shut up and just went along with? Because that's kind of the standard practice here. There's and, so and much like Grin and Barrett stuff in this industry of like, you just no, have to is. like, you have, you think like, okay, I just have to get through this so I can like get to a point in this industry. Like I can reach a height in this industry where like, I'm more untouchable in terms of like, if I did speak out, you know, like Kim Ang, the entire time she was interviewing for these GM jobs, she literally was interviewing for 15 years and she never said a bad word about the fact that she was interviewing and just was getting passed up. And then you think about all the teams, like the Red Sox had like six GMs in the span of those 15 years and they never interviewed her. So think about all the teams that didn't even ask to interview her, let alone the ones that interviewed her and didn't hire her. And it wasn't until she was hired by the Marlins that she was finally able to be like, none of these teams hired me. So many teams didn't even interview me, but she waited until she was a GM because you know what, if she hadn't said it, if she'd said it before she got hired, Think like think about how many teams of like weak ass men would have been like, mm, we we can't handle that. Like she's an outspoken woman. Like that's too much pep for us, you know. Or like, like what you're a woman, so you think we have to give you a job like that token hire? She was more qualified than Theo Epstein when Theo got hired. Just putting that out there. <laughs> it's sad, and the the one time that I ever bothered to speak up, it cost me my job. And what amazed me was. The people who handled my, you could call it a a case, but I never had officially filed for it. I was venting to someone who then turned around and basically filed on my behalf, which felt like another invasion as well, that I didn't consent to that. But um, what came back- It's like the Brett Favre thing. It is. And um, what shocked me was so many people who knew what I was going through and they were like, we're here for you. We've got your back. And then when this turned into an actual thing, it was- well, why did you do this? Like, I don't want to talk to these people about it. You know, they didn't want to be on record for saying it, even though they had all been witnessing it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And the disheartening thing about all of it was when it came back, because I had been, it's like you said, like just trying to agree with the boys, like just go along, just get to go away. There had been some conversations that 
weren't really comfortable that I didn't really take part in, but I was around and they determined because I was around that and I didn't stop those outside conversations that when things were turned directly onto me and it was a physical act that because I had already quote unquote, basically given my consent and conversations, I really should have just been understanding that that was naturally going to happen next and that that's just part of it and, and you have to move on. And it was just such a defying moment to just sit there and be like, wow. So even when this got turned over to somebody else, I still wasn't given two feet to stand on. I don't know. It just, it really makes you think twice about stuff. And I mean, I've learned from it. Obviously I'm still here. I didn't let that stop me, but it just makes it all the more grave how we need to really change the policies and the way that we approach these things. What a lot of people I feel like don't realize is how predatory the behavior is in terms of like it, a lot of the times it happens from somebody who like will get close to you and then they'll use the friendship as like a way to transition into it. And then mm-hmm. when it happens, so that when it happens, they can be like, but like, we're friends, you know, I thought I was picking up signals. You hang out with us all the time. Like they, they use that, you know, a lot of the times it does happen from a total stranger or somebody in a position of power that you're not close with because they're in a position yeah. of power and they feel like they can get away with anything like Jared Porter. But a lot of the times, you know, it's a coworker or someone you consider a friend in the industry. I've been friends with guys in the industry before where like, I've told them we're just friends. Like I'm not looking for anything. And even though they've heard me say it, like in the past, you know, before my relationship, when I was single, they would not listen. And it it literally just all comes down to like, they want what they want and they want to be in charge and they want to feel powerful. And I think a huge part of it comes from the fact that like a lot of them low key still want sports to be like a boys club. And so if you're here, they're like, all right, well, if they're here, we might as well just like try to like get with them. They still want to assert that dominance. Yeah. And, and to me, that's a twofold thing. And one, there was always such a stigma about like, oh, women who work in sports dating other people who work in sports. And I don't think it's really fair to put down the women who do, because I think, and you'll see like now that we're actually in it, we're doing it ourselves as adults it just makes sense. It's normal life to us. It's the same way that, you know, like a CPA might date another CPA in their building. It's just because those are the people you're around 24 seven. Those are the people who understand your lifestyle, understand your job pattern, but they have a lot in common with them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet they make it look like we've gone out of our way to find a male in this industry when that's not the case at all. But at the same time, that's a consensual relationship. You know, that's, That's where you have agreed, you've built it, you've understood the ramifications and you're good to go. And so the flip side of that being what we've just been talking about is the people who still paint that picture, but in an ugly way and they almost push it. And I saw a tweet the other day that was like, so you're not going to date any of the, the guys on your team. Like, why don't you, why don't you want to date an athlete? Like what's wrong? And it's like, why you, you almost slut shame women in the industry for dating people in the industry. But then, but when then you at the don't, same time, right. yeah. Damned just, if you do, damned if you don't. Our industry is the most messed up personal and public views of relationships, probably more than anybody else. When Mike and I started dating, he was still working for the Red Sox. The first three months of our relationship, he was still with the Red Sox. And we were friends for over a year before we started dating. The number of trolls on Twitter who were like, you're only dating your boyfriend for press pass. You're fucking your boyfriend for tickets. And Mike always thought it was the funniest thing because he was like, A, they have no concept of how the press box or like media access works. B, 
he was always laughing because he was like, the tickets that you get are way nicer than anything I could ever get you. Like I'm sitting next to the Sox dugout. Do you think that like, you know, mid-level Red Sox employees can just like get those tickets for their, you know, partners, girlfriends, husbands, like wives, whatever. Like it is so messed up in this industry, the way that people talk, the way that, you know, fans talk about this stuff when it comes out. I mean, yesterday, like, I don't know if you saw because of the kind of details that came out about Terry Francona, like what he knew, what he didn't know, all these people were like attacking his son, Nick. And so Nick finally had to make a statement. He's a, he's like a good friend of mine now. And he was saying that, you know, he's been trying to talk to his dad about this stuff for years and that like his dad just doesn't seem to get it and doesn't seem to like understand that there's a problem. For starters, like Nick shouldn't have had to explain his father's actions anyway. But at that point, when you hear that someone who's been in this industry for such a long time doesn't seem to think it's a problem, you kind of get this sinking feeling in your stomach of like, Okay, so how many more people in this industry don't actually see a problem with Mickey Calloway's behavior or Jared Porter's behavior? I think it was Jared Porter when he was hired by the Mets. They said that not a single woman interviewed him or was asked for their opinion on him. When Roberto Ozuna was traded for by the Astros in 2018, guys like Justin Verlander specifically said they didn't ask me what I thought because they knew what I would say. I mean, there's so much of this like, You know, you're going to ignore people who actually have an opposing opinion on an issue like sexual harassment or domestic violence or sexism, any of this stuff, because you want what you want. You want to win. You want to succeed. You want, you know, people who bring you that success. You don't want to deal with like hard topics like, you know, equality in the workplace. So you want to just perpetuate what you already have. And it's scary to think, you know, like someone who's like a childhood hero to us, Terry Francona, doesn't see a problem with like this whole situation. And that's the thing, because it's like, they, how are these guys not looking around and just shaking in their boots and just watching colleague after colleague get aired out? Because they all feel like, like they're untouchable. Yes. So that's why when we had Jason Mastronato on a few weeks ago to talk about kind of this situation I really value the Jared Porter side not the Mickey Calloway side right you know because they're so close (laughs) but like he gave me a perspective I'd never really thought about and that's these guys just have tunnel vision in their career and they work so hard at something so it's like not only do they feel like they're untouchable and can leverage that title over you but also like these guys have put so much work into their career that it's like, do they even have the social skills to like understand how to read a woman? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, how are you? No, I think, I think that's completely valid. There are a ton of guys I've met in this industry who like do not understand how to like properly interact with a woman. I mean, there was one guy I was friends with and I told him I didn't want to date him like a million times. And he was like, yeah, that's totally fine. We can just be friends. And then like a couple months later, he was like, oh yeah, I've been pursuing you this whole time. I just figured that eventually like you would get it. This isn't a run out the clock situation. No, the only way this is going to change is if we hire like 30 more Kimangs and just like fill this industry with women who just like don't have any patience for this bullshit because- Oh, they'll love that. They're going to love that. (laughs) Yeah, give give me like Kim Ang for commissioner or even like just a new commissioner. It shouldn't be that like every single month we have like a Brandon Taubman. We have a Jared Porter. 
it's 2021. Like, I just feel like we as a society should have evolved past this. There used to be a, re- a guy on the Red Sox who is no longer on the Red Sox who would like DM me on Instagram and then delete immediately mm-hmm. delete his messages. So like, I never even was able to see what it was, but like he, I knew it was him because he would just do this all the time. You and still get the notification. Yeah. You get the notification. You can't see the message, but you get the notification. And it was like, kind of like their weird way of like Facebook poking me. <laughs> what is happening? But you know what? Let's, let's just like enough. We don't need to give these creeps any more time in the sun. Let's talk about you. About me. Yes. You. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't like talking about yourself, but we're going to do it. Anyway. I really don't. <laughs> okay. But we're not going to talk about like, you know, your traumatic childhood memories or anything, or like your first pet and how they died. We're going to talk about like your career, your journey for starters, because I feel like people don't know, you don't just talk about baseball. Um, are you still doing the thing where you like cover the ax throwing competitions? Cause that was my favorite Instagram stuff of yours to watch. Yes. Um, so this will be my fourth or fifth year. I can't even keep up anymore covering ax throwing. Um, of course, last year I was on the schedule to have everything and then COVID kind of messed that up. So they went reporterless. Um, those are my two outliers though. It's probably ax throwing and cornhole. Um, and then I still have cornhole. Yes. Uh, big college scholarship money in cornhole for those who are looking for a way to fund their college. But, um, I have both of those college swimming and diving track and field and tennis. And then of course, college football, a little high school football sprinkled in um, a little bit of, of everywhere. Oh my God. For everyone who's listening, Melanie like doesn't sleep. I used to not sleep. I kind of miss not sleeping if I'm being honest. (laughs) So what happens when you get to uh, what they call the big show, how was it working in the Red Sox organization? Honestly, it was awesome. I know that Birdland doesn't like hearing this, but (laughs) for me, growing up in Georgia, but having parents who, well, my mom, who grew up in New England, Carlos Pena grew up working on her parents' farm when he was in high school, like that was his high school job. And um, baseball was always a really big thing for us and half of our family who are police officers. uh, My uncle, who was Ted Williams, part of his security detail until the day he died that it's just in our blood and you know that it's a different it runs a little differently it's a a little thicker up there when it comes to being a fan of the Red Sox and everything that comes with it and so going from being panicked and realizing pitchers and catchers had already reported and I didn't have a job to all of a sudden belonging to an organization that not only was directly owned by Fenway but had such a good general manager with Alan Lawrence he was fully supportive of everything I wanted to do he made it very clear that I wasn't a token hire. He was the first interview I've ever had that didn't say, well, you're a woman, so how are you going to handle being on the bus? How are you going to handle being in the clubhouse? That was just, it was assumed, it's fine. I can handle it. I've done it before. And that was a breath of fresh air to not be asked that question. So I knew I had their full support, but it was working alongside Dombrowski and Wren and Abbott. I mean, just the whole crew seeing how much they just wanted to share information and wanted to everybody to be on the same page. You know, if I, if I had a question about what a certain pitcher was working on or what somebody was going through, or if someone was going up or down through the system, everybody was very open and, and willing to talk about that and share things that was never treated like, Oh, well, you're a woman. It's like, do you understand what a, what a strikeout is? Like, do you know what the strike zone is? 
it was fun. And of course we went from worst to first and getting to clinch and pop champagne. That was the first time I'd ever also gotten to experience that, especially in the minor leagues. And it means a little more when you're on the bus every day. And, you know, of course now I don't have to prep as much for the thousand times that the Orioles play the Red Sox because the guys that are coming up and getting ready to join the big league club, I worked alongside them. We were on the bus a thousand times that year and you know a little more of the heart and the soul that they've put into it not that any other ball player hasn't done the same but you just really keep those personal connections with you for so long and uh it's it's something I'm always always going to be fond of especially given that that ended up being my last year in the minors getting to see everybody and of course building those relationships that was the year they had the the trophy tour so meeting Kurt Zwald and the whole crew that came with to escort that to all of the different minor league affiliates. It was, it was a once in a lifetime experience. I mean, I wanted you to stay forever, but. <laughs> and I could have, it was honestly, it was so hard, especially knowing he said, you know, you have a job here as long as you want it. And it was actually that off season while I was covering football. And I thought, you know, I've got a really good thing here. Um, I'm able to balance everything that I want to do. They let me leave and bring in a sub for the events that I want to cover during the season. And it finally clicked. I now understood why some people end up being lifetime minor league broadcasters because there, there is a happiness there. There's, there's an intimacy of baseball in the minor leagues that you just will not have at the big league level. Um, and so I finally come into that, you know, and okay, so I'm, I'm going to be at Salem until I'm just, not at Salem. And if that's 10, 20 years from now, that's fine too. And of course, like the minute that you make plans for your life, that's when your life is like, nah, we're going to, we're going to remix this a little bit, but it was just, it was so great. But so you did leave, um, you end up with the Orioles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I would just, I'd love to hear about kind of your come up within that organization and then like eventually getting to that point where you're the first woman calling a play-by-play in the booth for, the Orioles franchise. Yeah. So what's crazy is um, the Orioles are probably my 13th or 14th big league interview. Most of them had been for, you know, either sideline reporting pre and post on radio. And when the Orioles started talking to me, it was just talking. So I never knew it was for a job. I never knew it was for an interview. Um, I just kind of kept everything open. I knew we were approaching the season and why not get to know another team, um, network a little bit. There had been some talk of, well, you can be with Salem and then we need someone to probably fill in for a dozen games and we'd love for you to be that person. So I started planning the logistics of being able to bounce back and forth and um, flew up to Baltimore for a day, had lunch and just talked philosophy of, of baseball and broadcasting and where I thought things were going and um, got on the plane and it made my mom nuts because for her, like there always has to be a plan or reason for something. And so it's not for a job. And it's like, no, it's, I, I don't think it is. And well, then why would they do this? And I was like, I, I'm not them. Like, I don't, I don't know, but you never say no to a meeting. And then all of a sudden it turned around and okay, it's 162 games. We want you to be in the booth doing play by play. We want you to be on the field with sideline reporting. Let's do some digital work. You know, let's have you out in the community and it shocked me. And I, I called Rick Diamond, the agent that I now work with. And I just said, okay, so that meeting apparently was little more than a meeting and, and this is what they've offered. And so we started going through the process, but of course, you know, everything started getting weird. And so I showed up to spring training, having been hired like the last week of February. I mean, pitchers and catchers had already reported. 
So I was juggling working for the stats department and the games that they had already scheduled me for on top of driving back and forth between Tampa and Sarasota to get to learn this totally new team that I was a part of. And I knew three of our guys um, from our minor league time, but that was it. And so especially too, I'm, I'm very much still the introverted shy kid that I was for most of my life. And, and so they're like, oh yeah, you just go in the clubhouse and you start meeting guys. There's like 90 of them in there. This is, this is spring training. It's not, it's not just the 30 this time. Like, no, I don't just walk in there and meet these guys. It's like that meme, one does not simply do. Exactly. Uh, like that's, that's my worst fear. And it didn't even have to be men. Like it could have been a, it could have been a locker room of business professionals of all shapes and ages. And I would have been like, no, like that's, that's really daunting for me. So credit to, to Rio Ruiz and, and Pat Baleka and Richie Martin. Those were my three. And thank God all of their lockers were side by side by side. So I just walked up and it was like, you know, you just, you kind of keep a, a straight look down until I got to them. And I was like, okay, so you're my guys. Like, how's it going? You're going to help me meet everybody else. And they were good with it. So I had my first spring game and it was also the day that MLB Network was doing the 30 for 30 at Sarasota for us. So stuff was just all over the place. And I thought, you know, okay, I'll get there early. I'll study some more because I was still managing all of the stat stuff. I just, I hadn't had the time I wanted to prep. And of course, instead I got there and they did a press junket after our manager spoke. And, you know, I ended up rushing up to the booth before first pitch. And something that I, I'll always be grateful for is the fact that my main radio partner is Jeff Arnold. He was the voice of Baltimore's Carolina League affiliate the year that I was with Salem. And given that I had you know, right around 130, 140 games by myself with Salem, it gets really old talking to yourself for like five hours a day, every day. And so when we would play each other, Jeff had a full-time assistant. So he would leave his assistant alone for a couple innings to just run the airwaves himself. And he would come into my booth. So we already had this rapport and this chemistry on air together. He knows me. He knows what I like most to bring out of broadcasts and that I love deep diving on the human side of things. And so there wasn't a lot of adjustment there. And I knew that he would have my back in this situation. And the worst part of all of it was I had really bad allergies that hit the night before this first game. Um, so I was like coughing every two seconds. And of course, this is when you're hearing the whispers of COVID. So we already knew like coughs were now this really bad thing that you didn't want to have. So I'm like trying to hide it, trying to fight it. And um, we got on air and I started realizing that the way I alter my voice on air was also just making me cough 10 times more. So we had like a Valleca home run in the third inning and I went to go call it and I like squeaked it out. Like it was the most anticlimactic, just like, oh, and Pat Valleca with a home run to left. Okay, click. And then I started just abusing my cough button. And, you know, Jeff is next to me and he's kind of looking at me. And so he has to take over and like just step up after that. And um, we got through it. We had Eve Rosenbaum on too. So it was just kind of a little bit of everything for this debut. And our producers were like, yeah, that was great. You were so great. And I'm like, okay, now you're lying. And they're like, but were you okay? Like you sounded off. And I was like, no, like I have no voice. Like I'm chugging green tea right now. Like I can't. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And then by the time we went to call our second game together a week later, we were supposed to go to Fort Myers to play the Twins. That was the day that everything got shut down. Um, so I had one game. I knew three guys on the team and that was it. We didn't have anything else. We were, we were told to go home. And, and so I went back to Georgia and uh, luckily we, we launched a digital show. And so I got to meet a few more of our players doing that, just doing, it's like a FaceTime from home basically. And just time out life. Um, that's the biggest thing is I just want 
the parallel for fans to be able to connect and they understand like for the most part these athletes are on the same level as them you know they're not we we put them on a pedestal and we did this whole stats explosion in the late 90s early 2000s and to me it just made sports a whole lot less personal and i think it created almost a divide because the fans see these athletes and it's like oh they feel no pain we know that that's not the case so we built into that and then finally got word that the season would come back around went up for 2 months again still no direct contact it was just zooms which have taken over the earth and uh calling games in our booth and that was it you know if they were on the road we had 90 monitors in front of us so that we could call the action from there and pretend that we're there for the fans but very much looking forward to getting back to a little more normal of a situation with baseball just because right now it still feels so removed i've i've never felt like I didn't know a team the way that I felt with this one and they've been great every oriole that we've gotten to work with or gotten to do zooms with has been so awesome and open and inviting but it's still different than when you're building those actual personal relationships and Jenny Kavnar and I actually talked about it and she was like I saw you get hired and I was so excited and then I saw everything shut down and she was like I was just devastated for you because I couldn't imagine joining a team and like you finally get to the big leagues you don't have to take a bus anymore you can take charter flights and it's like no like we're going to we're going to scrap all of that like you're going to stay at your apartment and uh the end um but they've been they've been great and the Orioles have really looked for any way possible to have me involved in stuff and and not again not just because of the the rah rah she's a female thing but because they actually back the work that I do and i just think that's such a unique thing to find with an organization especially the the upper levels i'm grateful for all that our beat writers have been awesome our coaching staff has been awesome Um if if I was going to make a debut in, in COVID era this probably went as smooth as possible. I like what you said there because like I I know we opened the show kind of talking about men suck men are pigs but there's nothing more important for a woman in this industry than just having those male allies and just having that colleague that's going to take you under his wing and just be a good friend and help you on your come up. And that's that's the thing too is uh, there needs to be separation. There's so many things that overlap, but it's funny because it's like when we champion the good men nowadays, we have people who just lose their minds. And so well, you're condoning the bad behavior and it's like how do you not see the separation of the guys who re- I've had men who have literally fought to have me in a booth, to have me involved. And and that's such a difference than like that guy is never going to be the guy who goes after a woman in a way that she doesn't appreciate and at the end of the day it's still a guy's sport so there's we're men are still widely responsible for the fact that we get that we are here i mean we deserve to be here but it still took a man hiring us like you're doing everything you can to get your foot in the door but the people who are opening that door and and i mean that's the thing when i look at it between my partners that i've had in the minor leagues and my mentors as well like bob rathbun and tim brando and all these amazing guys i mean they're they're family for me now um and and i know that they would do anything in the world they listen every time that i have a serious complaint about you know the way i've been treated or it's it's usually been a man who's convinced me that you know that it's not okay whatever it is i'm going through at that point and that i should stand up and fight for myself so i think it's just as important to you know not go out of our way to thank them but just to remind them as well like hey it's appreciated what you're doing and i don't i don't see it as like oh well, you're thanking them for doing the bare minimum 
but I, I like since when did we throw kindness out the window like when when did we stop being appreciative just for for good humans and and giving them encouragement because that's the other thing too is anytime something hits the fan whether it's against a woman or against a man the whole rest just gets scrapped it's you know everybody gets thrown in the garbage and so I I can only imagine too it'd be like if people were just absolutely tearing apart a female reporter and it turned into all female reporters are trash we, the three of us all feel that. And, you know, we all feel like, okay, well, we're now a little more in the dumps because of this. Um, and, and so I just think it's just, it's just kindness at the end of the day. Like that's never hurt anybody. I was talking about this, you know, when I was doing a sexual harassment episode of locked on Red Sox yesterday with the hosts of locked on Yankees and locked on Padres. And I just said, you know, anytime something like this happens and, you know, you, you say like, it's so hard to be a woman in this industry. Men need to stop doing this. You inevitably get the, like, not all men replies. And I said, you know, obviously we know it's not all men. We have dads, we have boyfriends, like we have guy friends, like we know it's not all men, but if you're more concerned with telling us that not all men are creeps, then like listening to women talk to you about how it feels to be a woman in sports. If you're more concerned with telling me that you're a good person, that you're not like Jared Porter, or you're not like Mickey Calloway and not helping us get rid of people like Jared Porter, and Mickey Calloway. It's like, you know what? You're actually part of the problem because you care more about preserving men as a totality instead of rooting out the bad ones. Right. It's like Twitter has 280 characters per tweet. So forgive me for not saying some men, but not all men. So don't get offended if you're not like this. And then actually making my point. (laughs) Oh my God. So annoying. And like, I've gotten to the point where like, if someone I've literally said before, if you write not all men to me, I will block you. I don't have the energy for this, but I'm curious, what would be like the number one piece of advice that you would give a woman trying to make her way on the broadcasting side or even just in sports in general. But, you know, as somebody who's literally made history in broadcasting now, what would you tell somebody who said to you, Melanie, when I'm, you know, when I'm an adult, I want to be just like you. Oh gosh. Well, we always (laughs) joke. We're like, first of all, just change, just change, pick a different job. I know you, me, just Kleinschmidt, whenever someone says to her that she wants to work in sports, I know you guys are very close too. She'll be like, don't do it. That don't. <laughs> Which I have to say, it's a that's a very Jewish thing to do because in Judaism, if, if someone comes to you and says, I want to convert, you are supposed to say to them by Jewish law three times that they shouldn't convert to see if they really want to convert. Like you're supposed to turn them away. Oh wow. Multiple yeah. times. So I feel like I feel like that's kind of like Jess's thing to do in terms of like when people come to her and say that they want to be a woman in sports. She's like, all right but only if you really want it. Cause I'm going to tell you not to do it first to see what you're going to say. Exactly. It's just, it's not, it's, it's the same thing as athletes. You know, everybody sees, Oh, like it's glamorous. It's the big leagues. It's this. And you're like, no, it's not. not, at all. <laughs> not actually not at all. It's late think- night. It's media dining room food. It's like, you know, writing till 5 a.m. Yeah. Living so out glamorous. of a suitcase. Like, you know, sleeping more like in how, a hotel than your you own bed. All your personal, your personal relationships. relationships. Yes, exactly. Do you enjoy having a pet? Do you like seeing your parents? If so, sports are not the workforce for you. It's <laughs> like my uh, my little like 1950s ad for uh, Major League but Baseball. But it's, it's so true. And I know that this came into the forefront two or three days ago, just talking about like unpaid internships and um, 
I think we're finally coming to the turning point where it's okay. Hey, just because you want people to get paid an internship doesn't mean the work you did unpaid has less value. You know, like you're not, you're not selling yourself out if you support people getting paid for internships. And that's what makes me crazy is, um, you know, I, I graduated from college and I knew this is what I wanted to do, but this is such a niche that even though I had a broadcasting journalism major, most people were graduating and going into TV, like TV network, TV studio jobs at smaller stations and um, either anchoring or producing or whatever it is. And at the time I thought, well, that's what you want to do. You know, if you want to be on a, on a network news channel, like Fox five or whatever, And then of course I got older and I realized how many people professional sports actually do hire out of newsrooms. And I kind of wanted to kick myself. So I've even talked to a couple of the girls that I've mentored in the past who have gotten those offers. And I said, take the offer. You know, it's, it's a minimum of a year commitment. That means you're getting a paycheck, you're getting repetition, you have protection, you know, you're going to have stability being in the same city and, and stuff will eventually come around for you. I definitely chose the harder path. I don't know that I would change it, but I just, my whole goal at this point is I want to be able to turn around and make it a little less murky for the people who are coming after me and wanting to do the same thing. Cause a lot of them have had the same thoughts of like, Oh, well a new station, that's just a dead end compared to what I ultimately want to be doing, but you have to want it. I, I wasn't paid. I got my first job 16 months after I graduated college and it was not a paid job. Um, I had to live on the money that I had saved after working four jobs my senior year of college and working two, three jobs while I was at home trying to find a job, left there, went to Mobile for a season and a half, and that was actually the best that I had ever been paid, but they also had corporate housing, so that went hand in hand. My last minor league job, I was making 900 a month before taxes, fitting in everything that I could in between. I mean, I was bartending, substitute teaching. I remember I was doing when you were a, bartending. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I bartended, well, I started working in restaurants from the age of 15 until the end of 2019. And I can't We're- tell you what it felt like. Oh my God. I remember I when I got to quit my restaurant job, I started restaurants in junior year of high school too. Yeah. But honestly, it's some of the best practice I feel like I've ever had. I mean, I personally, like all through college, worked in like country clubs and sports bars. So just Mm -hmm. that experience bantering with dudes across a bar and having to cut off a man who's belligerently drunk. Yeah, learning how to prep me for this industry more than anything. I feel like everyone should have to work in restaurants in order to. um, Prerequisite. I would never, personally, I would never hire anyone that didn't serve. Oh my God. I just, I don't know if I would. This one time a woman let her kid pee on the floor in front of my host stand at this restaurant in Boston that I had hosted at for like six years because the wait was so long. I was like, you know, there's a bathroom right there. And she came up. She's like, um, he peed on the floor. All the cops. But you know what? It, like it teaches you, 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 you learn so much professionalism by having to like grit your teeth and not want to like oh, murder everybody who wants a table for eight on a summer Saturday night at 7 PM when there's a three hour wait. What was that story you once told me before we wrap up about you were on the bus when, <laughs> when, when they were like, Melanie's here and she works, you know, a million more hours than you guys do. And she only made like, didn't they like ask you what you were paid or something like 
that's um because that's the moral of this whole thing is like you have to want it because it's long hours it's almost no pay it's finding every job to fill in the cracks and you know we usually played the well like what do you make chicken salary game whatever you want to call it all throughout the minors you know the guys were always and especially as I got older and the age gap kind of went from me being the same age to now me being like the mom who always has snacks in her bag. So yeah, in, uh, in Salem in 2019, you know, the guys would moan and groan and I had been in the Texas league year before we could literally have a 10 hour bus ride and never leave the same state. <laughs> it was infuriating. So for the Carolina league, our longest ride was six hours, you know, there'd, there'd be moaning and groaning and it'd be like, you know, oh, I, we don't get paid enough for this. And it was like, do you know what Melanie makes? And they're like, this bus ride's too long. And then they'd get the microphone. They'd be like, Hey Mel, it's like, how long, how long was that bus ride last year? And I was like, 10 hours. He's like, 10 hours. Like yours, yours only four hours. You need to sit down and be quiet. And um, there was just, there was such a camaraderie with them too. And especially if we were, I mean, those hotels were awful, but you know, I'd be, I'd be searching for Wi-Fi in our hotel at 2 AM so that I could get our freaking post-game recap on the website. So the guys would be, you know, bouncing in and out of each other's rooms. They have call of duty going on and all this other stuff. And like, there's Melanie sitting on the floor in the hallway at 2 a.m. with their giant nerdy blue blocker glasses on. And they're like, what you doing? I'm like, well, you know, I got to do this and I got to do that. And they're like, do you sleep? Like, no, welcome to my life. Like, this is, this is what I do. But it's just, you know, you, you have to hunt the good stuff when, when you're in it, because like, yeah, I've cried a lot. Um, I've definitely, it's not, it's not an industry when you're starting where you can be like, oh, well, I want a work-life balance priority. You have to be okay with sacrificing that for a little bit. And I know we're in a society now that's finally reversing that, but it's still a different beast. Um, yeah. Because at the end of the day, the minor leagues just can't afford to hire 30 people in a front office. So you, you have to be okay wearing multiple hats. And, you know, I, I, I was the mascot in Mobile. I got sucker punched one time by a kid because I couldn't see him in like my range of vision in the bare <laughs> head. But... <laughs> Oh my God. It's just, you know, it's, it's just that stuff that, that you're going to like remember for the rest of your life. I really think there's something to be said about, you know, just the grittiness of it. Um, but you have to have a tribe that, you know, stands by you. I've had plenty of my, my own parents before I got the Salem job were like, you need to change careers. Like, it's not a suggestion. We're telling you like, this is the end of the line. You don't have a job. Um, you know, you're 20, 28, whatever. And, uh, you, you just, you have to want it and you have to have that at the end of the day when you're falling asleep and you're like, you know what, today sucked. Today kicked me in the teeth and I want to go back tomorrow. Yeah. But that, you're so right. It's, it's like, an, it's like a sick addiction, right? It's like the highs mm-hmm. are so high. The highs yeah. are, we have problems more so than anything I've ever <laughs> felt in my life, those highs and you chase that, but the lows are so damn low and the grind is like people really never understand it until they're in it but oh my god would you ever want to do anything else in your life can you imagine like every can you imagine a normal nine to five hell no kill me first my mom always asked me like (laughs) why why I sleep late in the morning she's like don't you want to be a morning person I'm like yeah I would love to be a morning person but baseball games start at 7 p.m and go until midnight so if I was a morning person what would I be doing I love mornings to just go to the gym. Yeah, but you're a psychotic person because you actually can just like wake up <laughs> even if you've gone to bed at 4 a.m. Like she went to bed at 5.30 last night in the morning. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and she's I here. had two hours oh, of sleep. <laughs> oh, whatever. 
no, no, thank you. See, that's what always makes me laugh as my parents got on to me when I was in high school about like, you can't, you can't stay up this late. Like it's going to affect you later and you're never going to. And I'm like, look at me now. Like I was prepping myself for the sleep schedule. I have to. (laughs) I love that though. But like, I mean, look at you now just to bet on yourself and it pans out. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing more you have to bet on yourself because you know what? Nobody else in this industry. I mean, if you're lucky, like maybe one of one or two people will bet, will like, you know, advocate for you. But if you're not betting on yourself in this industry, like you're not going to succeed in this industry because honestly, at the end of the day, like something, my tough love, my dad always gave me was like, the world doesn't care about you. Like if you're lucky, a few people in the world are going to care about you. But in general, like everyone in this life is the star of their own show. So the world doesn't yep. care about you. They just see you as like a supporting actor and yep. you got to like, you got to want it for yourself because no one else is really going to, no one's ever going to want it for you as much as you do. And no one's going to advocate for you better than you're going to advocate for yourself. No, a hundred percent. And I mean, that's, that's what it goes back to. I've had, it feels like almost every friend and family member has been like, why are you, you need to, you should do PR. Like you should do something else. I'm like, no, this is it. This is all I was created to do. I have no other, I'm not being a waitress for the rest of my life. That's my only backup plan. So, and it's like, don't you, people see that I'm very happy. Like it's, it's erratic, the schedule. Yes. It's not conventional by any means, but just because you like having a nine to five and your nights off to watch your murder shows and your weekends off to do brunch, that's not for everyone. And I mean, we're insane, but we're happy. Yeah. Like I can't (laughs) tell you how many friends like look at me and they're like, I could never have your schedule. I could never do this. And I'm like, well, I could never go be an accountant all day. Who in your life loves their job more than you do? Could you guys know a single person that isn't in the industry? My mom's probably my boyfriend. That's about it. (laughs) It's just, they come so few and far between. Yeah, but your boyfriend's a baller because he fights fires for a living. So like, that's cool. You know, he gets to like suit up and save people's lives. That is cool. That's cool. That's the worst text I get every time is when he's like fire. And he sends like the Elmo on fire emoji. I'm like, I'm not about it. And he's just so excited. And you're just like, this is dangerous to like your life. Yeah, not not great. Um, but I will say this too is it's funny because obviously when he met me, I was more than broke. <laughs> like I didn't have it. But on that token of being broke, if that doesn't give you an appreciation for just life, um, like that's why like I've never been a you know materials person because I couldn't afford it. But at the same time, it also taught me too. Like I had relationships where people had money and they could just you know this this sparkling life. And you don't even have to work anymore and you can stay home and. Um, I think being in it too and, and grinding it out and, you know, eating stale ballpark hot dogs cause they're free and everything else. Like it just gives you an appreciation for like the really real stuff, you know, and the real friendships and everything else. It, it just makes stuff more genuine. Oh my God. Being able to like go on a vacation that like you paid for with your own money. Like the coolest thing. Yeah. The day I got my first full-time writing job after like I was probably six months out of college oh no it was closer to a year out of college because I did a post-grad internship first so my first full-time writing job the first thing I did was go to Eve Saint Laurent and buy myself a bag and be like I fucking deserve this I (laughs) did that but with Celine I was like huh oh I I saved up all this money when I was in college and I was working at the Plaza Hotel's hair salon and I was making 12 dollars an hour and I 
saved up like a whole day's worth of pay and I got myself a pair of Lululemon leggings and you can bet your ass I still wear that same pair of Lulu's that's like 10 years old now. <laughs> they're all pilled and they're <laughs> pilled. They're thin. Somehow they haven't ripped yet. That's I why you pay for those leggings. Oh my God. Yeah. Yep. Like that $98 pair of leggings. But like, I was so damn proud of those leggings because I had worked my ass off dealing with people like Ivanka Trump, just like slapping the black card down on the table to pay for $400 haircuts. And I'm sitting there making $12 an hour. But I was like, you know what? I have earned these leggings. It's like the best feeling. It's the best best feeling. So that being said, obviously baseball has been kind of a consistent in your life. As you said, um, just throughout your entire career, you've worn so many hats. You've I'm sure seen and done so many things, but something we like to ask every guest we have on before we wrap up is what is your favorite sports memory? Um, it can be professionally, it can be personally growing up, like, Literally, it can be the most insignificant thing to anyone else. But if it's important to you, we want to hear about it. Okay, so I will. I had two that came into my head almost at the same time. I feel like you guys will appreciate both of these just for their uh, background. But my first big league interview was while I was out covering the Arizona Fall League and Dustin Pedroia was being put into our Hall of Fame. Um, So just getting to talk to him and like his boys were running around and like one of them like, all these people, hundreds of people are reaching down over the dugout to get Dustin's autograph. And instead it's his six-year-old son. He's like, oh, you want this? Like just SJing it up. Like, oh yeah, I got this. He's like, dad, I think they want your autograph too. And like, it was just so raw and real. But I still remember too, that that moment of like, oh my gosh, like this is a story, big leaguer. Like, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? And um, just the, how candid it was, was always so cool. But I remember too, like texting our family chat and being like, well, I'm the new favorite kid. Like you can all sit down. But the flip side of that was celebrating, um, clinching the playoffs with Salem. And, you know, I, I literally, That's what I, I thought you were going yes. <laughs> um, I had pre-recorded my post game just because I was like, okay, all we have to do is win today and we're in. That's it. I called the final strikeout. Salem goes to the playoffs. I hit the recorded button to like play what I had already put up there. And um, I, I hauled it downstairs to, to go make sure, first of all, that everything was set up. Everything was tarped. Everything was good to go. And then to start, we had to, we hooked up a GoPro on a Thad Ward so that we could get like the player's point of view of the reaction and the celebration. And we'd have cameras everywhere else. And for everything that I've been through in the minors and especially to have a start with, people who told me I wasn't allowed in the clubhouse, who told me that it was a bad perception if I was on the team bus, you know, who wouldn't even let me speak to the players because that just made myself more of an asset to the players that like, oh, you know, she's, she's accessible. Like I can do this. Just for all the no's that I had and for how at arm's length I had been kept, to get the whole crew together for a picture, you know, probably a good 15, 20 minutes into them throwing champagne everywhere and to have so many of them stop. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like you got to come get in the picture. And I was like, no, I'm taking the picture. And like, you've been with this team this whole year. Like we take the picture with you or we don't take it. And I'm in, (laughs) I don't, I did not earn that championship. I didn't play for that championship, but every single championship photo I am, right in the middle of just this huge family 
and it, it made me emotional. And, and I had the guys ask me afterwards and I, I explained that to them, you know, just, just how much I had gone through to be at that point and for them to see me as an equal, it was huge. And so I still, I still have the champagne bottle on my desk and, you know, it's not, it's not the fancy gold wrapped uh, major league style world series champagne, but it's still, it's a bottle that I'm not going to forget its significance for at all. Those are the highs. Those are the highs. Those are the highs. <laughs> I love that. This was amazing. Well, you guys are amazing. No, it's you're easy amazing. to have a podcast oh. when it's you too. I miss you so much. Every time I eat Israeli food, I think, <laughs> I think of I think of you. Which is I- such an honor that I'm like associated oh with food. Like that's that's a life goal, right? Al, there. you should have seen. Like we basically needed a second table added we to our table like we because we we, we would get along great we would get along so oh great <laughs> gab knows this about me and food we ordered like 60 dollars worth of food for two people it was legitimately yep. like five people's worth of food and we it ate was amazing all of it we did not have leftovers it was kind of appalling but um guys this has been your second march episode of girl at the game i don't know what day it's gonna what be what week are we on yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's march 3rd it's but this episode it's yeah it, guys welcome to march 2020 2.0 this has been your episode of girl at the game with melanie newman and of course me gabrielle and al Thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow Girl at the Game on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. You can follow Melanie on Twitter. She's Melanie Lynn with an E N at the end. Um, and of course, you can catch her on Masson for the Orioles. And um, very exciting. We opened the season against the Orioles. So that's awkward because I'm rooting against you. But I love you. It's our and thank season you. opener and our home opener. Yeah. It's uh Second year in a row, which is interesting, but I feel like the couple years before that, they opened against the Blue Jays like four years in a row. So whatever. Thanks so much for tuning in. One day we will figure out a way to actually sign off this podcast without being awkward as hell. But today is not that day. Not so, tonight. No, not tonight. Thanks so much, guys. Talk to you next time. Uh-huh. Let's go get a uh-huh. shot.